Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. I want to hop into the message though today. I want to jump into your series, First Fruits. And um, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to speak on this topic. It's something that I love to talk about. And, um, you know, sometimes if you're having a guest speaker and you say, I want you to talk about first fruits, they might get a little nervous. Uh, But I'm excited to be here and talk to you about God's plan. Come on. I love the second service because I can just preach all day. There's no other service to wait on. Come on. How many of y'all ready for a two-hour sermon? I'm not. All right. <laughs> but I was thinking about first fruits, and it reminded me of a Longhorn, an Aggie, and a Bobcat. Are there any Bobcats in here? Texas State? Come on, Texas. Yeah. Come on, Pastor White. Texas State Bobcats. I'm a Bobcat. Um, I'm, in a, I'm in the land of Bobcats. Anyway, y'all want to hear this story? Okay. So the three guys were standing in the church lobby, and they're talking about, like, how do we know how much money we should give to the Lord? And the Longhorn starts off. He's like, you know, it's easy. I cash my check. I get the, I get the money. I go to my back porch, and I draw a line on the porch, and I throw the money up. And the money that falls on this side of the line goes to the Lord. The money that falls on this side of the line is money that we use as a family. The Aggie's like, man, I do the same thing. And, but the only difference is I draw a circle on the porch, and I throw it up, and everything that falls in the circle is for our family. Everything that falls outside the circle goes to the Lord. The Bobcat's like, well, wow, I, I go to the back porch too. I cash my check. I take the cash to the back porch, and I throw it up in the air, and I figure God will just take out of the air everything he needs And then everything that falls to the ground, I will use for my family. Come on. Bobcats. There's actually a better way in Scripture to know. And first fruits is all throughout the Scriptures. It starts in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. And it goes all the way through the times of Jesus, the New Testament, the book of Acts. Um, My favorite place in the Bible uh, to talk about first fruits is back in the Old Testament. There was a prophet named Elijah, and he had a very adventurous life. You can read about him in First Kings. A lot of different things happened throughout his life. He had many miracles, signs, and wonders across his lifespan. There's this one time, kind of near the end of his journey, God told him during a famine that he was going to be fed uh, in this little city of Zarephath, by a widow. So he takes his journey to the city of Zarephath, and he finds this widow, and she's collecting sticks. And uh, he goes up to her and says, hey, can I have a cup of water? And, and the widow says, sure, absolutely. So she goes to get him water, but he says, hang on a second. Also, I would like for you to make me a cake. He says this to the widow because he's just simply following what God had told him to do. She stops in her tracks, and she says, well, I would love to do that, but I'm actually gathering sticks right now to make one last meal for me and my son, and then we have plans to just die. There's a famine. 
She was in immense poverty. The only option she had was to take the remaining bit of oil and flour that she had and cook one last meal and then die. Can you imagine being in that place? What a desperate place to be. Now the man of God is in a position where he has to then respond to her, and he's wrestling back and forth between, oh, my goodness, God said that this widow is going to feed me, but he didn't tell me that she didn't have anything left, right? And so the pressure on him, do I ask a widow to give me her last cake? Uh, he has to trust in God. And now if he were to say this to her, she would definitely have to trust in God. So this is what he tells her in 1 Kings, the 17th chapter, and the 13th verse. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. That's the first thing that he tells her. Do not fear. I don't want to tell you the same thing today. Do not be afraid. God is with you. I don't know what stage of life you're in, if you're in a famine here in Victoria, if you're in recession, depression, uh, what kind of diagnosis you got. Do not be afraid. Maybe that's all you needed today is to hear that message. Do not be afraid. Times can be very difficult. But the man of God says, do not be afraid to this widow. Go and do as you have said, but... Make me a small cake from it. What? First. Everybody say first. Make me a small cake first. That's a big thing to say to a widow who has enough flour for one more cake. Right? How bold. How mean. Right? How could you say that to a widow? Well, he was living according to a different standard. There's a different standard from which Elijah is living. And that's really the main message I have for you today is that there's a difference in living in what's in your cupboard and what's in God's cupboard. OK, Elijah is living according to a different standard than this widow. The widow only can see enough for her and her son to eat and die. How depressing. But Elijah says, no. If you will give me a cake first, then, he says, afterward, make some for yourself and your son. Do not be afraid. Put God first, and then you'll have enough for whatever you need. Huge statement. Big statement. Let me just say this. God did not need this woman's bread to feed the man of God. God didn't need this woman's bread. A few verses before this, God fed Elijah by bringing food via ravens. Birds brought Elijah food while he was hanging out by the creekside. It was the first DoorDash that we know of. Come on. God brought food via ravens. A few verses later, after this episode, God brings food to Elijah from angels. It's the first angel food cake that we know of in the Bible. Come on, people. I'm trying hard up here with some really bad jokes. Come on. <laughs> God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your flower. He's the God that owns everything. 
The reason why he wants us to put him first is for our own good. The reason he puts this widow to the test is the same reason he's putting us to the test in 2023. Do you trust in me or do you trust in yourself? That's a, ma that's a massive thing that God is putting in front of this widow. The reason why he challenges the widow to feed Elijah is so that she can learn that God is all sufficient. He wants her to know, but it takes an act of faith. It takes an act of obedience to step outside of common sense and step out of what makes you feel like you're safe. I just feel like this is how I should handle my business, but God has a different way. So I want to give you three statements to live by in regards to first fruits for 2023. And these are from the words of Jesus. They're building on what we hear in this story of Elijah and this widow. But this is the first one right here. Number one, I cannot serve God and myself at the same time. Write that down. Tweet it. If, if you tweet, uh, whatever. Write that down. Put it in your phone. Put it on a mirror that you look at every day. I cannot serve God and myself at the same time. There was a day when you were out in the world, those of you that have been in the church for a while and you were serving yourself. And then uh, people, you know, people come to church, come to Riverside. You start getting plugged in. But there's a season when you have a foot in the world and you're trying this new thing out. And I'm glad you came today to hear what Jesus has to say about this, that you really can't do both. This widow could not do both. You and I cannot do both. We have to pick one or the other. Jesus says in Luke 16, 13, no one, no one, not one person in this room right here, anybody watching online right now, can serve two masters. Or you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to mammon or worship Mammon. Now, some of your translations may say money there. But the King James uses the word mammon, which is not an English word. It's not a Greek or Hebrew word. It is actually an Aramaic word. This is the language that Jesus was speaking, actually speaking in that day. And so when you read the word mammon, that is actually the word that came out of his mouth. He would said mammon. That's, that's what they would have heard. Now, why would they leave that particular word in Aramaic in our English Bible. There's no real good translation for it. I mean, money is in some translations, but that's a thin definition of this word. It really would have resonated with them deeply because mammon was a god, lowercase g-o-d, and they would have recognized that, they, that, that Jesus says you cannot serve God and this like the God of all gods, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and this other God, Mammon, the God that had roots all the way back to the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel and Babylon was this God of self-sufficiency. We're going to build a tower up to God because we can. It's up to us to get to God. We can get there. And, of course, we know the story that they could not. But this same God has infiltrated for thousands and thousands of years. It was still alive and well in Jesus' day. 
if people were still trying to make it on their own, the God of self-sufficiency. What he's saying is you can't serve God, Jehovah, and yourself at the same time. The God of self-sufficiency. The God of mammon. This is not just like you can't act devoted to one. What he's saying is you cannot serve. You cannot be enslaved to. You cannot be connected in deep, deep devotion to both at the same time. So, so mammon was such a heavy word and such a big deal that Jesus wanted to make sure they understood that. You have to pick one or the other. Now, in my life, I see this demonstrated uh, several years back. I had a revelation. I want to share it with you in case you've not had this yet. But I'd be driving down the road, and I would see this billboard. I think we have a picture of this billboard. Y'all have seen these billboards? Come on. Maybe here in Victoria, if you're going to, you know, I-10, going somewhere else, San Antonio, Houston, whatever. These billboards are up for the Texas lottery. And if you're like me, you drive by, this is an actual sign. This is when it was over a billion dollars, and they didn't have enough digits for it, so it was just 999 million, right? A, over a billion dollars for the lottery. And if you're like me, you drive by the sign like, Lord, If you'll let me win this billion dollars. Come on. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Lord, I'm going to buy this ticket. And Lord, I will tithe on this billion dollars. I, I will give the church a tithe on this billion dollars. Come on, somebody be honest in church today and tell me you felt this, you thought this, right? Come on. Well, let me just tell you this. If you can't tithe on $10, you can't tithe on $10 million. If you can't tithe on $1,000, you're not going to tithe on a billion dollars. In fact, Jesus says, if you're faithful over a few things, I'll make you a ruler over many. So don't be like, well, I'm going to start tithing whenever I'm rich. No. We start today. Have you all seen the the documentaries of the people that win the lottery and then they waste it all. If you're like me, you're like, God, I'm not going to be like one of those people. I'm going to be so wise with this money, right? This is really how the devil began to whisper to me. I start thinking about all the ways I'm going to spend this money. And, and use this money for all these good things. But then I would have these feelings of like, man, if I won that, it would feel so good. I would not have to worry about work anymore. I would not have to be bound by other people anymore. I'll be so free and I would be so self-sufficient if I won this money. And very slowly... And very simply, the devil was elevating this idea of you would be self-sufficient if you won this money. And that's the ultimate goal. Self-sufficiency is what's going to deliver peace to you and strength to you and prosperity to you if you're self-sufficient. But that's the opposite of what Jesus told us. Jesus says you can't serve that God and serve me at the same time. And this is the conviction that God brings to me. You should be at peace right now. You don't have to worry about a job right now. You don't have to worry about your retirement right now. I've got you taken care of. 
and you haven't won a billion, right? You don't have to worry about anything and you don't have to be self-sufficient. You can serve the God of all sufficiency, right? That's what Jesus is saying. You're either going to serve yourself, the God of self-sufficiency, or you're going to serve the God of all sufficiency. So different, right? And so now as I'm driving down the interstate and I start seeing that billboard come up, I'm just like, no, devil. I look the other way. (laughs) Not today, Satan. So we can't serve God and ourselves at the same time. Number two, here's another statement I want you to live by. This is from the words of Jesus. I will be more blessed when I give than when I receive. I'll be more blessed when I give than when I receive. Paul was teaching this in the book of Acts, the 20th chapter, and 35, 35th verse. He's actually quoting Jesus. Paul says, I have been a constant example of how you can help those, be benevolent, be generous in those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, and here it is. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the words of Jesus. It's more, you'll be, you will be more blessed when you give than when you receive. Here's what I want you to understand. God actually designed the human body to, to, to get a kickback, to get a feeling of blessing when you take on his attributes. When you begin to demonstrate the character of God, we're talking about generosity here. When we're generous, when we become like God, we actually are designed inside of us to feel that blessing. That's why when you give someone a gift at Christmas or a birthday or whatever, and they open it and their eyes just light up and all that, there's like, ah, they like it. Yes. Right. It feels so good. My wife is so much more generous than I am. And I wish she could have made it today. A little side story. She's a midwife and she's delivering babies and she has one due right now. And um, and so she could make it. But um, hopefully next time she'll have a break and she can come with me. But she's so generous. She's so giving. And she's taught me so much about this. And one of the things that she's taught me is, like, let's not just give people gifts at Christmas and birthdays. Because this is what inevitably happens to me. Christmas comes up. A birthday comes up. I'm like, ah, so much pressure. I got to go buy them something that they like. I got to go buy something that they need. And I totally forget, like, what they've said all year about things and I, I have not done my research. I've not taken notes. And so there's all this pressure to buy something for them in that season. She's like, let's not do that. If we're at Target and we see something, we're like, oh, your mom would love that. Let's buy it and give it to her right then. And we've started adopting that practice in our life. And you talk about the shock and awe of when you give them a gift. It's like, what are you doing? I saw this and I thought about you. and I just want to give it to you. It's awesome. A few years ago, I went on vacation by myself because my wife was delivering babies and my kids were at summer camp. I was like, I got to get out of town. So I loaded up my truck and I drove to northern New Mexico and hung out in Taos and uh, went up into mountains and hiked and rode my bike and climbed, climbed Wheeler Peak and just had a beautiful time. And I'd heard about this train, this old steam train up on the Colorado border near Chama and Alamosa. 
And it's like going back in time. Steam engine, they're feeding it coal. And uh, it's like you see all these animals and wildlife and abandoned gold mines. It's just like, oh, let's do this. Talking to myself. <laughs> but then the time came, like, what ticket do you want? There's basically three different cars to pick from. There's the couple cars up by the engine. It's open air. There's no roof. And, you know, you can, you know, see a lot, but the sun's beating down on you. It may rain on you. There's no perks. It's just like $35 ticket. And then there's like middle class in the middle of the train, four or five cars where it's covered, and you get like a bag of popcorn, and there's a tour guide there on a big speaker, and, uh, you know, you're kind of out of the elements. It's a little nicer. But then there was like the rich car. I think it was like $175 per person, but it's covered, it's air-conditioned, you get plush seats that recline. In fact, I think we have a picture of the inside of this car, okay? So I said, you know what, I'm going to splurge. Like I said earlier, I'm very conservative, very tight-wide-ish, and so this is so out of my comfort zone, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to go for it. I'm by myself, I'm going to act rich and I'm going to buy this ticket. So I got on that car, and I started walking down that car like, I, yeah. You ever notice how people that need authority start sniffing? It's this authoritative, yeah. You're going to see that from now on. You're going to see people sniff when they don't need to. It's like they're trying to prove something. Anyway. Side note, I was doing that. I was like, hey, how's it going? What was cool about this was we could go to all the other cars anytime we wanted to, but there was a door that they could not come into our car. So I was just hanging out. It was great. Four-hour train ride. We had lunch. They had drink. We had our own private server that was just in our car, and, man, I was just feeling so amazing. And so then the time came to end the ride, and we needed to, you know, say thanks to our server, give her a tip. And um, I looked at my wallet, and all I had was like two $1 bills and a $100 bill. And I was like, I'm not giving her the $100 bill. <laughs> but two doesn't feel like enough, right? Two feels cheap. I'm like, man, I, no, I'm not going to give her 100 So I was wrestling with it, and she walks by, and I'm like, hey, you got to change for a hundred. No, I don't, she said. She was super sweet, so, so good at her job. And we'd kind of gotten to know her on the trail. She was talking to us about our family and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, I thought, you know what? I'm going to give her that hundred. I'm going to give her a hundred dollar tip. I'm going to act like I'm rich <laughs> and give her a hundred dollar tip. I literally thought that. I'm confessing to you today so many things, but I said, I'm going to give her that $100 bill. I'm going to act. And God spoke to me so clearly on that train and said, no, I don't want you to act rich. I want you to act generous. There's a difference between being rich and being generous. You can have a lot and not give any away. And so I want, basically, this is what God was saying. I want you to be like me. I want you to live with your hand open instead of your hand closed. 
And there's a big difference between having that hand open and being generous because here's another side of it. When you've opened your hand and you're generous, guess what? You're open to receive something from God. Amen? Instead of being like this. What if I don't have enough? What if I lose it all? Right? That's how we can be. God said, no, you're going to be blessed when you're like me. You're going to be blessed. God gave himself. God gave his life for you and I. He gave everything. He was beaten and abused and embarrassed in front of the world naked as he was crucified for us. He didn't just give his, his possessions away. He gave his reputation. He gave away his spirit, his body, his soul. He gave just laid it all down for us. He's so, so good for us. We can then just begin to reflect that generosity. And so I wadded up that little $100 bill, and I didn't really want it to be obvious. And so I, it's time to disembark off of the train, and she's standing out on the ground as we began to come down those stairs. And, and I handed her that little folded up dollar, $100 bill, and you could tell she recognized it. I guess I, I could, I'd already kind of hinted at it, you know, when I asked her for change. But she looked at that $100 bill, and her eyes just got so big, and she, the smile on her face, she said, thank you so much. And I, my heart just was like, <laughs> and I think I just like floated off to my car from that point forward. It was so awesome. And now it's like I always want to, I just, it's addicting to be like that. To just be like, and I wasn't this way before, but, you know, at a restaurant, you know, like, okay, what is 18%? Get the calculator out and take 10%, double, you know, whatever. And now it's like, no, I'm just going to give. I'm just going to be generous. I'm just going to, and, and, and. We can never outgive the Lord. We give, we can invest, we can, we can open up our hand, and God will always bless us in beautiful, beautiful ways. And this is not about becoming rich or famous or powerful or anything like that. It's just about reflecting the goodness of God. And he always answers us right there. Here's the final, final thought I want to leave you with. I am in covenant with God and with Riverside Church. I'm in covenant with God. So when you're thinking about first fruits, you're thinking about sowing financially into the work of God. I want to encourage you, get planted in healthy soil. This church right here is healthy soil. If, you, if you're not a part of this church, maybe you're just kind of dipping in, visiting, whatever, you haven't really established roots here, I want to encourage you, get plugged in to this church. This is healthy soil. Look what the Bible says in Psalm 92, 13. For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house, and they flourish in the courts of our God. You need to be planted somewhere, and then you need to start sowing financially. What happens is, is we have something that's of value to us, and we have control over it, but uh, all throughout Scripture, God has demonstrated people that take 
a portion of that, and they give it to God first before they do anything else with it, before they pay their mortgage, their utility bills, before they, um, you know, pay their internet connection or cable or eat. Uh, they take a portion and systematically and intentionally put a percentage of that into the house of God. All throughout Scripture, it starts in uh, Genesis with Melchizedek giving Abraham a Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth, and then it became a part of Moses and the law. And then in the book of Acts in the New Testament, they didn't just give a tenth, but they sold everything and gave it to the house. And so it's a pattern of believers that take something, not because they just heard a emotional speech or they just coincidentally felt like it. But intentionally, before I do anything else, before I make a cake for my kid and die, I'm going to put God first. This is my first fruit. And some of you may be, may be saying, well, when I, when I, you know, make this my home, then I'll do it. When I really feel like it, then I'll do it. You know, Jesus actually taught the opposite of that. Jesus says, wherever you put your treasure, there your heart will follow. We think it's the other way around. We think, I'll put my heart there, then I'll give. But Jesus said, no, you put your treasure somewhere, guess what? Your heart's going to follow that. It's just like my aunt and uncle. They were not Texas A&M fans until their two kids went and graduated from Texas A&M. Now they got a flag flying out in front of their house. They got hoodies and sweatshirts. They're posting about Texas A&M, Aggies online and all that. It's like, what happened to you? Guess what? Their treasure went there. Their heart, their kids went there. And a lot of money went there. Come on, somebody. And guess what? Now, all of a sudden, whoo, gig them. So much more, so much more, our treasure should be put into the hands of the Lord. That, that, that the amazing things happening. I, I came in the doors, I saw the picture of your building and the fact that you've paid off the land already. And I cannot wait to come back. You're sitting in chairs that other people gave to buy. You're, you're, you're sitting in a perfectly heated and air-conditioned building and lights are on and keyboards and drums are lit up and all that because other people have sewn into the house. Other people have given so that you could get this coffee bar, the ministry you're going to do with special needs, all that kind of stuff is something that has happened because people have sown into the house of the Lord. Just think what's going to happen when all, all the people get on board and start saying, you know what, we're going to put God first. We're going to sow into the house of the Lord. We're going to sow into fertile soil, and we're going to see what God does in this city. Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet right now and let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit riversidechurch.com tx.com